What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob, hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, Bob. We're doubling down this week. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Certainly. And pretty pumped to talk about the NFL draft here today. Definitely. This is a second of two podcasts that we are posting this week, due in part because we are taking next week off, so we will not have an episode uh, up for next week, but we wanted to make sure we gave you plenty of content this week to make up for that. So this is our special bonus episode for the week covering the NFL draft. If you came here for uh, our analysis on the, the start of the Cavs Raptor series, that is in our first podcast of the week, so definitely check that one out. Uh, we, we do have some, some exciting news for this podcast, though. Uh, our returning guest, Scott Petrak from the Illyria Chronicle Telegram, the Browns beat writer there, is going to join us later for his draft analysis. But uh, starting off, you are going to get Chris and Bob's draft analysis. So, Chris, uh, starting off with the, with the Browns NFL draft, they had a, a ton of picks and capital heading in there. The number one overall pick didn't surprise anyone selecting Miles Garrett first overall. Uh, starting right there on top, do you like that move or not? Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes the obvious move is the right move. I, and when you have everyone saying that there's one guy clearly above everyone else and he aligns with the position of need, uh, the Browns desperately need a pass rusher. They were tied for 30th in the NFL in sacks. So I, it's just a no-brainer to take this guy. Uh, obviously a huge athletic specimen Great talent, tons of upside. He has production in college. Uh, it, it was just a, a perfect fit if there ever was one for Cleveland. Now, when you're sitting at 1-15 and and you have the number one overall pick, really whoever the best player in the draft is, you probably can draft him and it'll be a great fit. But this one in particular for Cleveland because, Bob, everyone talks about the quarterback being a problem. And, and don't don't get me wrong, it is. But since 99, I mean, the front seven, the pass rush, the, the, that has been a huge problem too, and, and the run defense. Now, Danny Shelton was brought in to address the run issues. He took a step forward last year. I'm glad that now we're going to get someone on the edge to terrorize some of these opposing quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger, who have been terrorizing us for far too long. It's time to get some medicine. It's time to give them a taste of their own medicine uh, with Miles Garrett, and hopefully he can develop into the elite pass rusher worthy of that number one overall pick. So yes, I love the pick. Yeah, th- th- I I love it uh, as well. I I agree with you. I think uh, there's just so much build up to the NFL draft. It's easy to write side stories or, or alternate theories about what the Browns are going to do or what every team is, is going to do with that first overall pick. But, and that kind of leads to us to forget just how highly valued miles Garrett is uh, heading into this draft by far the, the best valued player at a position that, that can change the game. I mean, a pass rusher, a dominant pass rusher uh, can, can significantly boost a defense and, 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 ch- and directly change the, the, the course of a game. So a, a huge boost at, at an impact position. Uh, I had no qualms uh, with making that pick. And, you know, let's still remember that Miles Garrett is a rookie head, heading into this first season. There, there is still a chance that he won't be the superstar that a lot of people are projecting. But even if that does pan out, it's not that uh, the Browns made a bad pick here. If anybody were in this position with that number one overall pick, Miles Garrett 
most likely would have been that selection. So I, I, I will not fault the Browns for, for how Miles Garrett works out. Um, I, I think it was a safe pick, but also, I mean, it uh, could be a, a game changing, very high impact pick. So, so I love it. Um, yeah, Bob. Let, let's just say for a minute that Miles Garrett might not come in and let the light the world on fire, but neither did Mario Williams, neither did Javani and Clowney, and both of them. I mean, Clowney is still verdict is out, but he seems to be improving every year. Mario Williams took a year or two, but he eventually turned into that guy. So certainly, uh, you need to manage expectations, especially playing at that position. It takes a while to develop, but I, I certainly hope he grows into his potential. Yeah, m- me too, for sure. Um, normally a, a team would, would make that first overall selection and be done on Thursday night in the first round, but the Browns are, are not the normal drafting team anymore. Uh, a key player with, with that number 12 pick, Chris, uh, we, we saw an unusual run on offense in that top 10. Uh, we, in our preview, we talked a little bit about how you know if teams go offense in that top 10, the Browns will have a ton of options, and they certainly had it. They could have taken one of the premier defensive players, some guys that we liked, and Jonathan Allen or Malik Hooker uh, was one that you liked. Deshaun Watson was also available at number 12. And in true Browns fashion, they they pull off a trade with the Houston Texans trade down, pick up a first-round pick for next year, uh, and that pick is ultimately used by the Texans to take Watson. Uh, Chris, how, how do you feel about that trade? I don't feel bad about it. I mean, we both talked last week that Deshaun Watson was the favorite of the quarterbacks at least the high-end quarterbacks in this draft you and I both agreed on that but I also think we'd agree that even though Deshaun Watson was our favorite I don't think Deshaun Watson is a lock to succeed in the NFL by any stretch now no prospect is but it's not like they traded out and Andrew Luck type prospect was sitting there or a guy like Cam Newton was sitting there guys that you felt a little more comfortable betting on succeeding in the NFL Look, I like Deshaun Watson, but I'm not going to say that he is a lock franchise quarterback. I think there were a lot of questions and marks about these guys. And I think the Browns have just kind of played on the Texans' desperation to fill that position, which is odd because they're the team that's been to the playoffs two years in a row. You would think the Browns would be desperate to fill it and force the pick. I like the fact that they didn't force anything. They let the draft come to them, and they were rewarded for doing so because we're going to talk about the guy they ultimately selected in the second round, Deshaun Kaiser, which surprised me that he was available at 52, and they were able to pick up an extra first-round pick. So, so yes, overall, I like the trade because I still have question marks about Deshaun Watson, even though I liked him coming out of college. Yeah, um, you know, this was the guy that I wanted the Browns to take at, at number 12. Um, with that being said, I, I understand why they traded down. They picked up that additional first round pick, uh, and, and they, they continued to add talent with, by drafting, uh, Jabril Peppers with, with that pick that they traded down for, uh, with the Texans. Uh, that's a, a guy that I identified that I wanted, uh, at the start of the second round. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that selection for sure. Um, Deshaun Watson, now that he's going to te- the Texans, uh, a playoff team, uh, I, I'm okay with the Browns passing on him, but I do have concerns that he might look really, really good in his first couple of years in the NFL because he's going to a team that has a very successful defense that has a really good coach in Bill O'Brien and a superstar wide out in DeAndre Hopkins. So, uh, you know, I, it's hard once they, once these players get drafted, 
they, they go to completely different systems and start to develop at, at different rates due in part to the, to the, the talent that's around them and the coaching that's around them. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be hard to, to, to compare what happens into Sean Watson's career, but, um, I understand why the Browns passed on him. And I think it ultimately worked out, uh, in their great favor. They're able to pick up that first round pick and also get, uh, a quarterback that could surpass Watson in the future into Sean Kaiser. So I think it all worked out, but I do have some reservations that Deshaun Watson might look really, really good, uh, in, in over the next couple of years, cause he's going to a much more talented team in the Texans than, than, uh, what he would have gone to if he were to join the Browns. Well, let's look at the flip side of that equation. He has to go to Houston. And look, when Tom Savage is your competition on a playoff team, people are going to look to Watson to be the missing piece. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who hasn't taken a snap in the NFL. So looking at it from the alternative angle, Deshaun Watson certainly could struggle with the weight of those expectations and the weight of a franchise on his shoulders. Uh, And so I don't know what's going to happen with him. Again, I like the guy coming out of college. I'm not saying he's going to be bad. But just think about this what-if scenario, Bob. What if Deshaun Watson struggles mightily his rookie season and thus the Texans struggle and they're picking in the top 10? That means not not only do the Browns have their number one pick next year, they have their number two pick as well. I mean, that's two top 40 picks potentially uh, in addition to the plethora of picks they already have as well. So so it could work out for the Browns if the Texans miss the playoff or if Deshaun Watson struggles. The other end of that you know, spectrum there is that Deshaun Watson is a raw prospect, a rookie, and is going into a team that he's going to be expected to start right away and he's going to be expected to you know, be the answer for them right away because I, I don't see Tom Savage being the long-term solution at quarterback. And when you come off of back-to-back playoff appearances, you're looking for the answer and I, I think he's going to be expected to be it. Oh, for, for sure. There, there's going to be a, a huge amount of pressure on Watson. Just like if, if the Browns took him with that pick, there would be uh, a massive amount of pressure on him to, to finally solve Cleveland's quarterback problems. I, I don't doubt that. And I agree with you. There, there's a high chance that that pick uh, will work out. And they also own the second pick, as you said. Um, hard for me to envision that the Texans will be so bad they'll be in the top 10. But um, there there is a possibility that they, the, the Browns will have two additional top 50 picks because of those moves with the Texans. So yeah, I, I, I think it worked out and it makes total sense given the broader picture. Um, let's talk about the back end of, of the Browns draft in that first round using that, that Texans pick to take Jabril Peppers then trading back in uh, with Green Bay, giving up their first second round pick and their fourth round pick to, to trade back in at number 29 and take tight end David and Joku uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on both of these guys? Uh, were you surprised that the Browns traded back into the first round and didn't take a quarterback? Yeah, I was stunned. That stunned me. I thought when they traded back into the first round, that was going to be the Kaiser pick because they would try to get that fifth year on the rookie contract. Um, but no, they, they traded David Njoku, and the rumor has it is Pittsburgh really wanted not just Njoku, but Jabril Preppers. And they were able to get both of them. So if that's true, kudos to the Browns for snagging two players that their division rival coveted. Uh, you know, Najoku uh, obviously has a lot of skills. I mean, when, whenever you're compared to Greg Olson, who I believe is the second best all-around tight end in the NFL behind Rob Gronkowski, uh, those are really good comparisons. I'm not saying he's going to come in right away and be Greg Olson, but if he reaches that kind of potential, that is a fantastic pick for the Browns. And then the the thing I like about Jabril Peppers is that he played linebacker in college but has the skill set of a safety. 
So I think that when you when you mix those two together, uh, you could end up with a very dynamic player in the middle of that secondary and, and maybe address this need for sort of a ball-hawking general back there that, that again, the Browns have lacked uh, since 1999. Um, again, you know, I, I'm looking at this from best-case scenario. I, I, I'm not trying to be a homer here. I really do like all the guys that they selected in the first round. I, I think the Browns let the draft come to them. They didn't force anything. They took what they gave them. And, and even though they traded up, they still made 10 selections. They didn't give up. They only gave, they came in with 11 picks and they made 10 selections. So, so ultimately I think that that, uh, that, that was a, a very good philosophy going into this thing. And they picked up a first round pick for next year too. So, uh, ultimately I think that, that the Browns did a very good job of identifying value and selecting, uh, if not the best, one of the best players available uh, when they were on the clock. Yeah, I, I never got the feeling that the Browns were reaching. I, I thought that they uh, were always taking guys that, that were on the top of the board uh, at that selection. I love the Peppers and, and the Njoku pick, uh, both uber-athletic at their position. Uh, I know this doesn't count for much because Brandon Whedon got one, but uh, check out David Njoku's sports science episode or his clip, uh, he just has a freakish uh, vertical uh, range uh, and a catch radius that uh, is unheard of. So that's really, really exciting and was was cool to see. I think Peppers is going to thrive in, in, in this attacking uh, defense that, that Greg Williams is going to implement. Uh, we've seen Williams before uh, use these hybrid safety linebackers uh, to, to great success. Uh, and, and Peppers is going to immediately uh, impact the return game. So two huge athletic guys that uh, are already polished in some areas, but, but definitely need a lot of work uh, to develop. But again, when you lead off with, with the home run hit in miles Garrett, it, it, it's a little bit easier to swallow th- these athletic hybrid guys that, that might take a, a little bit while to pan out because you have th- that first overall pick in, in miles Garrett that, uh, you expect is at least going to be a successful player. So I, I, I like both of those moves. Uh, I, I'm really happy with both of them. Well, what did you think of cutting Gary Barnage? Don't you think that maybe that would have taken some pressure off Njoku and, and have him mentor him along for a year instead of, it, it seems like Njoku is going to have the weight of the world on his shoulders. Uh, certainly one of the favorites to win that tight end job. Uh, I think maybe with Barnage there, take some pressure off of him and he can ease into the NFL a little bit more. Yeah, I'm surprised that they, uh, you know, less than 24 hours uh, cut cut Gary Barnage. I, I I was really surprised with that. I thought that at least uh, he could mentor him in, in the summer in, in training camp. At least you know bridge that gap. Even if Njoku was going to start all along, uh, I, I don't understand. I don't I don't really understand why getting rid of Barnage in this moment. What benefit that brings you, but. Um, yeah, Barnage is 32, didn't have the Pro Bowl season that he had two years ago, uh, kind of up and down season last year. So I get why it's time to move on, but at the same time, a raw prospect like Njoku, who you think the world of, but needs some time. I, I agree with you. I think it probably would have made some sense to, to keep Barnage around, but, um, Hey, the, the Browns are pretty ruthless with, with cutting their, their older veterans. So, uh, it's not all that surprising, I guess. I, I thought maybe the the time to cut Barnage would have been next off season. I, I think that at this point, especially drafting a guy like Najoku, keep Barnage around for another year, ease the transition, 
and then maybe part ways. Uh, I certainly think he could have helped mentor Njoku uh, in the league. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, well, moving to uh, the second round, uh, Browns did have two second round selections uh, heading into the draft, but they used that number 33 pick to trade in and take Njoku in the first round. So they only ended up with one second round pick. And here it was finally the Browns taking a quarterback with a high draft pick using the the second round selection from the Titans number 52 to take Notre Dame quarterback Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, Chris uh, Kaiser is the prototypical quarterback in terms of build, speed, arm strength, but uh, very inconsistent, very raw. Do you like the Kaiser pick? Well, okay, so so let me just back up for a minute. Going into our draft day preview, Deshaun Kaiser was the quarterback I didn't want of the big three, and I don't count Pat Mahomes in the big three. I counted uh, um, Trubisky, Watson, and Kaiser in my big three. I assumed that the Browns would have to draft them in the first round. Kaiser at 52 I have no problem with because the Browns already got three first-round picks and picked up another one for next year. At that point, if Deshaun Kaiser, who still had a first-round grade, is there at 52, this is tremendous value, in my opinion. And like you said, he has the build and the mechanics and the speed of a Cam Newton. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be Cam Newton, but that's the comp for him. He's 6'4", he can make all the throws, he can run uh, so so he can beat you with his legs too. Um, that's not to say he's a scrambler because he does have a good pocket presence. Does need to work on his mechanics a bit. Uh, you know, Hugh Jackson talked about his footwork. Uh, so that's certainly something that will need to be developed along the lines. And yeah, his time in Notre Dame was inconsistent record-wise. Uh, going from a 10-win team to a 4-win team doesn't look good. Going from 63% completion, which by the way was a school record at Notre Dame, Bob. That surprised me when I saw that down to 58% in year two, certainly not good. But a couple of things, he increased his touchdown passes from year one to year two and decreased his interceptions from year one to year two, despite making 11 starts in year one and 12 in year two. So there are some encouraging statistics. There are some signs of improvement in college, despite the 4-8 record. And yes, that Notre Dame lost nine draft picks to the NFL between those two years, Two of them drafted in the first round. Certainly, that also had something to do with the 4-8 and eight record. I don't think you can hang all of their struggles on Deshaun Kaiser, but it's certainly concerning that the completion percentage dropped uh, the, as, as much as it did from year one to year two. That, that's the big red flag to me. Um, but I think that's offset a little bit by the fact that his interceptions also dropped too despite starting more games. Yeah, I understand all that. I mean, the, the college production is certainly something that you want to look into and you want to analyze those trends and, and uh, try to, to get some analysis out of that. Um, but Kaiser is a project pick uh, with that number two selection. Um, you know, maybe in a, in a normal drafting team, this would be the second player that uh, this team would have selected after Miles Garrett. But again, the Browns aren't a normal drafting team. This is the fourth selection the Browns made and it's Deshaun Kaiser, uh, he doesn't have that expectation of being the starter immediately. So I think, you know, with the expectation that he is going to have to compete for everything, nothing is expected of him, Nothing. he's not inheriting the quarterback position immediately, uh, I, I think that we can just kind of, you know, we can take those stats for what it are or what they were um, and, you know, 
realize that it's going to be some time before he sees the field and, and Hugh Jackson, it, it's up to him and his staff to, to craft and hone Kaiser into a competent NFL quarterback. And, and again, with, he has all the measurables that you want in a quarterback. He has uh, the experience playing in a, in a big time college program. Um, I, I love, I love this pick. Uh, I love it because of when they picked him uh, in, in what round they picked him. I love it because they took three uber talented guys before uh risking a, a pick on a quarterback you know no matter where you make a quarterback selection it's it's the, the the riskiest pick you can make um so so this draft will not be at a loss if kaiser doesn't work out but at the same time uh, i i have really good expectations for, for how kaiser is going to work out just because uh, of the way they drafted him and, and the intangibles that he has i, I think this could be a key moment for, for the Browns in the future. I, I'm really happy with this pick. Yeah, me too. I mean, like I said, anytime you get on some people had him the second rated quarterback in the draft and they got him at 52. I, I think that right there, the fact that they could get a guy of his draft grade so low in the second round and still add three first round talents to this roster how can you not like the pick? Because, you know, this quarterback class might not be the strongest in the world going in, but two years from now, we may be talking about it as one of the best ever because we have no idea how these guys are going to develop. I mean, I, I just, you know, said I wasn't too high on Pat Mahomes. What if Pat Mahomes turns out to be the best quarterback in this draft? I, I hope not because I want Deshaun Kaiser to be the best quarterback in this draft. But I, I guess the point is the Browns were able to get a guy who was – thought to go in the first round so late in the second round. I just think that right there um, is a home run for me. Yeah, for sure. Tremendous value at that pick. And um, most most people uh, agree with that. So I, I'm really happy with it. Um, moving to the, the third round, uh, the Browns take, uh, go go to a small school with, with this pick taking Larry Ogunjobi uh, from UNC Charlotte at defensive tackle. Uh, Chris, reading a little bit about him, really kind of excited that that a, a guy with this kind of characters come around to the team uh were you happy with that pick well, well when it was first made I, I didn't exactly know who larry ogunjobi was yeah, but when he uh, called yeah but when he called in and uh did his interview because i i was i was able to cover the uh draft this weekend actually with scott petrak who will be joining us shortly um and he blew us away uh with his story uh, he was at the press conference the next day. Uh, just a really good guy, uh, really good parents too. Uh, his mom had some good things to say as well. Uh, so, so it, it's very refreshing to bring in someone with such, you know, high character and strong work ethic. Bob, he weighed 350 pounds as a sophomore in high school. In one year, he play, goes to football. His mom, his dad force him to play football to get in shape. He loses more than a hundred pounds in a year. And then bulks up to 300, and and we're not talking about video game 300 because that that was his big uh, kind of crux prior to the transformation. We're talking about football 300. This guy's a, a ripped, muscular guy. Uh, had a huge impact on Charlotte, who have only played four years of football, uh, two years at FBS, and he owns a lot of records there. So what I'm impressed with is is you got a guy who has clearly. Uh, clawed his way into the NFL he had to you know really 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 work at it not that all of these guys don't work at it but but it seems like Larry Ogunjobi uh, had to work a little extra hard 
Uh, and so, so he has a very inspiring story and seems to have a very good character. And so, so yes, I love this pick just because it seems like this is the kind of guy you want on your football team. And I certainly hope that uh, his hunger uh, doesn't doesn't stop and he continues to uh, make an impact on the Browns. Yeah, definitely. He's got some viral videos right now of him working out, uh, which are quite impressive and even more impressive when you find out that he was overweight uh, just a few years ago. School record holder, like you said, uh, in tackles, tackles for loss, sacks and quarterback hurries. Uh, I, I'm really I, I, I like this guy and I, I really want him to succeed. And it sounds like that he is just has that motor where he certainly will uh, double major in computer science and biology as well at UNC Charlotte. So uh what's not to like about that pick and, and it fills a need uh, obviously a defensive tackle with the Browns going to four three are going to need a second uh, guy playing in the interior I think uh, Larry Ogunjobi is is certainly uh, in competition to to fill that role so I, I think it's a fantastic pick uh, very excited all right well conversely uh, skipping a couple of rounds here to the sixth round uh, the Browns end up taking Caleb Brantley defensive tackle from Florida uh, who's making news for kind of uh, all the wrong reasons right now is in the middle of an alleged uh, misdemeanor assault uh, where he slapped a, a, a female and knocked her unconscious. Um, Chris, this is kind of counterintuitive to the whole Browns mantra and even the regime before the, the, the Browns. Once Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert were selected, uh, the Browns have, have been selecting Boy Scouts ever since. Um, really puzzling that, that Brantley uh, was selected by the Browns, uh, especially from this regime. Uh, almost immediately after drafting him, they say that they might cut him if this uh, investigation uh, turns out to be true. Uh, Chris, this pick was really puzzling. What, what are you making of it? Huge head scratcher uh, because the common one of the common threads among their selections the last two years have been high character guys who have worked very hard to get to where they are. Now, I, I, obviously, you know Caleb Brantley worked very hard um, because anyone getting drafted worked very hard, but. But the Browns seem to have drafted guys who go the extra mile, like Aleo Yogan-Joby and, and things like that. This, this is out of character for them. This is the first pick that I said, wait, this, this goes against what you kind of believe in. And I think everyone in the draft room was puzzled. Sashi Brown came down right after the pick was made and addressed the media, which is uncharacteristic. Usually they wait till the end of the, the day to do that. Uh, so that just tells you how uh, you know you know kind of serious they thought this was, and, and it certainly is. We're we're not making light of this situation at all. Um, this this is you know what he is accused of and charged with is is unacceptable. Uh, hitting a woman, uh, according to the police report or according to the complaint file, excuse me, uh, she lost a tooth and might have to have a root canal to replace it. Uh, so so I, th- this is not good. Okay, I I don't like the stuff surrounding this guy. I kind of wish the Browns would have just let it be. There were a couple of the guys on the board like Chuck Clark, Michael Tyson, two safeties that could have, uh, you know, helped in that secondary. I do think they needed a second safety. Uh, so, you know, there were other guys that could have taken. I, I don't even know why they they bothered with this. Uh, it, it just is a kind of an uneasy feeling that 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 Cleveland decided to make this pick, um, especially with a sixth round pick. They they didn't need uh, all the headaches that came with it. It's very puzzling. Um... And I, I I don't know the the reasoning for it. Um, yeah, I I I, I just don't get it. I, I guess with uh, over ten picks in the draft, they they thought that they might be able to 
to, to take a risk at that point or, or have no problem, you know, claiming that guy. And, and if uh, the, these allegations turned out to be true or, or whatever, they, they have no problem with cutting him um, because they just have so many draft picks. But like you said, uh, this team was 1-15 last year. They have positions of need. Uh, the secondary in particular, though they uh, drafted Peppers and, and a cornerback, they didn't uh, exactly – direct uh, majority of their assets to, to fixing the secondary. So I agree with you. I, I thought that they would go uh, secondary with this pick. Um, really odd that, that Brantley was, was a draft selection by the Browns, uh, very against uh, the, the, the theme of these past couple of drafts. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what, what's going on with that pick um, and if he actually makes the roster or not. Uh, Chris, rounding out those day three picks, though, uh, in, in the later rounds, who's a guy that you like? Well, I like the fact that they traded up to get Howard Wilson, a big, tall corner. Uh, I like corners who, who have a little size to them. And, and he also seemed like a pretty good character when he called in. Uh, they asked him, uh, how did you feel about the Browns trading up for you? And his quote and his response was, oh, man, that's love right there, man. So, so he clearly was very excited that not only he got picked, but that the team moved up to get him. And, and so it was a little, a little more flavor to the interview and, and whatnot. Um, but, but I, I think he's got the size that I like in a corner. Uh, and I, I, you know, when you draft a corner, you still got Joe Hayden there who might not be super elite anymore, but he's still a very strong starter. Uh, I think there won't be as much pressure on Wilson, but, but he definitely will need to develop because uh, as, as you know, Bob, we've seen Joe Hayden, he's declined pretty rapidly the last couple of years because of some injuries. Uh, so certainly Howard Wilson will be looked to, uh, come in and try to solidify that other side of the field. Uh, probably pretty early uh, because secondary, as, as we've said multiple times, was a big area of need going into this draft. Yeah, they need a lot of help in the secondary. Hopefully Wilson uh, will pan out and be able to, to impact uh, immediately. I, I like that pick uh, for sure. Um, I would have liked any corner that they take just because they're, they're really desperate there. Uh, but Howard Wilson, I, I like his size, and I, I, I do like that pick a lot. I'm going with Roderick Johnson in the next round uh, from Florida State, the offensive tackle. Um, this was a weak offensive line draft class, uh, and, and by, uh, a lot of scouts say that Roderick Johnson has the highest ceiling amongst any offensive lineman uh, in, in any round. This guy's six foot seven, uh, was a beast uh, blocking for, for Florida State last year. Was was uh, an All Conference player. Um, very raw. Uh, doesn't have sound technique, but with a fifth round selection, you could take a guy that potentially uh, is more talented than any other offensive lineman in the draft. I think that's exactly what. Uh, you, you use those late round picks for. So uh, I, I'm really excited about that pick. And uh, if he pans out, uh, that, that will be uh, fantastic. Uh, for, uh, a great win for the Browns. All righty. So there's our thoughts on the NFL draft. But now we are bringing in, as we said earlier, a uh, returning guest on the podcast here, Scott Petrack, a Browns beat writer, longtime Browns beat writer for the Illyria Chronicle Telegram. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining us. Hey, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, you know, we'll just get right down to it. You know, looking at the whole draft, uh, you know, the Browns took 10 players and picked up an extra first rounder for 2018. Um, ultimately, you know, just looking at the big picture, how do you think the Browns did overall? Yeah, I, I like it overall. I mean, I could quibble with a couple of things. and Maybe we could talk about those. But I liked it overall. Um, I like the pick of Garrett at number one. You don't know if anybody's going to work out. And I've heard some people take shots. Um you know, Garrett's effort on the field and doesn't show up all the time. It doesn't chase down plays. Um, but 
I think he was the pick that they had to make at number one. I don't think you could force a quarterback at number one. Um, I like the fact that they went young, guys that are 20, 21, a lot of eligibility left, and then they came out. So should have a big upside. And then to me, and a lot of athletic guys too, that jump and run, and all those things you're looking for in players, and they can be elite players. But for me, the draft changed at number 52 when they took Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm not saying he's going to be the answer, but at least they took a shot at a guy with potential, with a big arm, with a body that should be in the AFC North. And I can't, I always felt like Sashi Brown and his guys were kind of putting off that quarterback decision and weren't bold enough. And at least they took a guy, now they didn't trade anything, and they kind of let him fall to them, but at least they took a guy that has an upside, might be the long-term answer. You're not super tied into him. But for me, that was at least a signification that, yes, we really value quarterback. We know it's not good enough. Let's see if we can at least take a step that might fix that problem. Yeah, would you have a less of a positive opinion of this draft if the Browns didn't take a quarterback? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think you could, you know, go through every pick and go, okay, he's a pretty good pick, he's a pretty good pick. But if they had not taken a quarterback and they left the draft with Osweiler, Kessler, and Hogan, um, I wouldn't have liked it. You know, and that my, not that I'm giving out yeah. a grade, yeah. but my opinion would have dropped significantly. And the fact that they got a guy in the second round, that's a significant commitment to the quarterback position. And, and like I mentioned, I like Deshaun Kaiser. He was third on my board. Um, I don't, I'm not sure he's as high on the Browns board, but I think we all, can all agree he has potential. I think physically he's everything you're looking for. So, yeah, the, the draft changed for me when they took Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, I'm focusing in on Kaiser. Uh, was he simply the best player available at 52, or, or do you get a sense that this was the quarterback the Browns wanted all along? Um, I don't think he was the quarterback they wanted all along. I, you know, Michael Silver, the NFL Network reporter who's really good friends with Hugh Jackson, was embedded with the team all week, and he wrote a piece. And, and I think Kaiser's probably fourth on their board. I was surprised. I thought maybe he was ahead of Watson because they just, you know, passed on Watson to number 12. But it sounded like Kaiser was fourth. Um, and I think there was some debate at 52. I think there was a defensive back there that the Browns, kind of had targeted or the coaches liked. And then I think Sashi Brown said, you know what, this is the right spot to take a quarterback. And I think that was the right move. So I don't think they were hoping for him all along. I think he kind of fell. And they said, you know what, we can't pass this guy. And to me, that was the right decision. Because I would have, like we mentioned, if they waited to take a guy, even in the fourth or fifth round, I wouldn't have felt nearly as good as I do. Kind of taking a bold move on a quarterback at number 52. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Deshaun Watson, did you get a sense that the Browns had him highly rated or, or thought highly of him? Um, I mean, I think they liked him, but I think there was a drop-off behind Trubisky, Mahomes, drop-off to Watson. Um, that's how I hmm. felt. That's what Silver kind of wrote. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how much they liked Mahomes, but Silver has a line that says, I think they thought Mahomes had the biggest upside. We know all the talk about even considering Mitch Trubisky at number one. So I think it was Trubisky, a little gap, Mahomes, a big gap to Watson. Because obviously they didn't think Watson was worth it at number 12 or they wouldn't have made that trade. And then, the, you know, we, we've talked a lot about about a guy drafted 52, but they still had the number one overall pick in this draft. And, and as you mentioned earlier, Miles Garrett, uh, you know, being the first player taken comes with a lot of pressure. But, but for you, what's a realistic expectation for him? That's a good question. I, to me, they're through the roof. <laughs> you know, when when everybody talks about him being a generational pass rusher and, you know, best guy since X, if it's Von Miller, if it's Julius Peppers, if it's 
you know, Javon Curse. I mean, those are the kind of names we heard with this guy. And physically, he's got every tool you need, right? I mean, you saw him, Chris, up close. He's, what, six four and a half, two seventy two, chiseled. Um, mm-hmm. I think the expectations are he gets 10 sacks, wins defensive rookie of the year, and is a eight-time Pro Bowler when his career is over. And maybe that's unfair to the guy, um, but I think that's what comes with, number one, comes with the hype. And let's be honest, he put a lot of that on himself, too. And he's saying he wants to be the greatest player to ever play. And he mentioned a guy like Jerry Rice in that in that sentence. So, you know, he thinks he has all those tools. Um, and I think he's a smart guy, and I think he's the right personality to handle everything that goes with being the number one pick in the draft. But it's going to come down to can Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, coordinator get the talent and potential out of this kid? Because we saw it at A&M, especially as a freshman and sophomore, a lot of sack numbers. But I'm not sure we saw it 100% of the time or even 80% of the time, the effort that you need. And, you know, Greg Williams has said that I'm a motor coach, and that's what he excels at doing, getting these guys to play to their potential. And if he can do that with Garrett, then I think, you know, the sky's the limit. But that's the one question mark. Will he, well, will he stay healthy? And then will he play at the effort you need to play at down in and down out at the NFL level? That's a good point. Uh, keeping it defensively in the first round, you know, the Browns take Jabril Peppers at, at 25, super versatile player, uh, most likely slotting in at safety. Um, but what about his experience at linebacker? Is he going to draw uh, and implement in that Brown secondary? Well, to me, I'm mixed. I have mixed feelings about that pick. Um, I get the upside. I get the athleticism. But when I went back and watched three or four of his games, when he showed up the most was when he had the ball in his hands. Is a return, is a running back, is a wildcat mm-hmm. quarterback. He didn't show up that much to me on defense. Now maybe that was because Michigan was playing playing him at linebacker, and he's not a linebacker. You know, he's five eleven. He's a safety. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. So having played at the line of scrimmage, you can tell that he can tackle. You can tell he's a thumper. He doesn't shy away from contact. All things you look for in a strong safety. Um, but to go back to Greg Williams, and I think you can say this about Deshaun Kaiser too. It's up to the coaches now, right? He, he's Jabril Peppers has talent. Whether or not he's a great draft pick, we could argue that all day, but he has talent. Now it's up to Greg Williams to say, okay, I'm going to use your versatility to the best advantage of this team. And that's not easy. It's like when, it's like Christian McCaffrey. You know, you give a coach, a player who doesn't quite fit in a certain slot, that's not easy for some coaches to take advantage. And you have to wind up with the right coach and the right system. And it seems like Greg Williams should be that kind of coach for Peppers. Um, but I don't know if he's a natural safety. I think there's going to be a learning curve there. So maybe early on, you know, you'll see him have his most impact as a returner. And that's an ideal for the number 25 pick. But eventually, you'd like to think, okay, he can settle in at safety and then do all these other things on top of it. Yeah, defense was a pretty solid focus, adding five defensive guys, especially early in the draft. Um, as they transition to a 4-3, uh, do you think Larry Ogunjobi, the guy that took 65, is is the favorite to start alongside Danny Shelton? Uh, he enters a mix with Desmond Bryant and Xavier Cooper. You know, I, I think those are the three most likely candidates. Now, Desmond's gonna supposed to make a bunch of money. Um, you know, if, if things aren't going right, if the pack that he tore last year, I think it's a pack, isn't healed 100. percent You know, I could see him being one of those guys, the veterans that get cut, whether it's before camp or during camp or right at the end of camp. Um, but I like Desmond Bryant's 
athleticism. I think he's quick. You know, Ogan Joby's supposed to be all those things too, but he hasn't played at this level. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that he'll play a lot right away. Whether or not it's the first snap of week one, obviously it's too early to tell, but he will be in that mix. And, you know, I kind of overlooked that position because, oh, they got Brian, you know, they got Meter, but Meter's kind of plays the same role as Shelton. Um, they got Xavier Cooper. But the fact is, if you're moving forward, and let's assume Brian's only here for another year, then you need a guy like Ogan Joby. And that's why they followed up with the Caleb Brown pick because he slides into that same three-technique role that Ogan Joby does. And it's the kind of role that a guy like Aaron Donald had in a Greg Williams defense with uh, the Rams. Yeah, um, rounding out that, that first round, uh, the Browns took uh, David Njoku at tight end at number 29. How raw is he as a, pro- a prospect? And, and with Gary Barnage being cut, you know, within 24 hours, is he going to be the starter uh, on day one? I, I think you can project that, that he's going to be the starter. Now, Seth Val has a year under his belt. Um, you know, Randall Telfer was more of a blocker last year and had an impact as blocker, has a hard time staying healthy. Um, so I would think David Njoku, you know, when you draft guys that are this young, and he's 20, we talk about youth, he's only 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, part of he says, okay, we can bring him along slowly. The other part is, well, let's get him as much experience as fast as possible so when he's 22 he plays like a veteran with a 22 year old body so the Browns being as young and inexperienced as they are and with no real expectations I would expect to see him unless the playbook you know kind of goes over his head which doesn't seem to seem like a smart kid when we talk to him and he's raw but you know I think he had eight touchdowns catches last year six or eight and OJ Howard from Alabama only had seven for his whole career at Alabama now, that's not the only statistic that matters, and I think O.J. Howard's going to be a good player. But the kid has ability, and you can see on his film, he catches the ball and run over people and jump over people. Extremely athletic, really good after the catch, um, can make plays downfield. Had a good, was able to spot the ball 20, 30 yards down the field, which is, you know, rare for a tight end. So, you know, I think I point to the fact that the Browns didn't draft any wide receivers in this draft after they can four last year, but Njoku uh, kind of fits in that slot role. If you needed to, you could use him as a third receiver, maybe pair him up with a guy like Telfer. So I think he's versatile. I think he is raw, but I like what I saw, and I do think the Browns expect him to produce pretty early. Yeah, you mentioned Caleb Brantley earlier. Um, obviously, taking him in the sixth round came with uh, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, head-scratching uh, seemed to be an out-of-character pick for them. Uh, do you think they dropped the ball uh, by selecting him, given his legal situation? I do. Um, I don't like it. And the main reason I don't like it is I just don't think you need to invite that kind of scrutiny. Um, you know, we all know the criticism the Browns organization has taken recently and for years. So why invite more? Um and I don't think he's going to make the difference between winning the Super Bowl and not winning the Super Bowl. Um, you know, and not that, that makes, not that that's a good rationalization. You know, I think you can make that argument in the Cincinnati. Well, Joe Mixon might help him win a Super Bowl if he's still worth the pick. I don't even think you can make that argument with, you know, a D-tackle that would have gone in the second, third, or fourth round. Um, having said that, I understand from a football perspective why they did it. They think he's a good value in the sixth round. Um I assume they think there's a chance that he gets cleared, which means he's available, and all of a sudden he looks like a good pick from a value perspective. Um, to me, I have a problem with it ethically. Um, you know, not to prejudge a guy. I you know, understand that he, you know, hasn't been even hasn't gone to trial yet. 
Um, but I don't like the look of it. And I, I think when the Browns talk so much about high-character guys, and they made a big deal about that when they cut Johnny Manziel and they've taken a hard-line stance with Josh Gordon, it, it seems hypocritical then when you when it's completely in your control to go draft a guy that you didn't have to when I'm sure they had 50 other names on the draft board that they could have easily taken another guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than Brantley, what, what was the Browns' most surprising pick? Good question. I, I don't know if I expected them to take it. Well, I know I didn't expect them to take a pick. So I'll say that. Zane Gonzalez, and I'm not saying it's a bad pick. You know, he's the best yeah. picker yeah. in college football, has a big leg. I, I think he's a good value when they got him. I just going into the draft, you know, running down the needs on the team, ticker wasn't anywhere close to being in my mind. And, you know, are there any other guys that were drafted on day three that stepped out at you? I mean, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't mentioned a few. Anyone else that jumped out? You know what? I like that the um, the corner. Um, God, I'm blanking on his name. Howard. Jeez, oh man. Wilson. Wilson. Thank you, Howard Wilson, the corner out of Houston. Um, they needed a corner, right? They don't have a ton of depth there, as it is. You know, I think he'll fit into the rotation pretty early, um, and will push people for playing time. I like his size. He's not strong enough right now. I think he weighs 184, and that's after adding 20 pounds in college. He thinks he can get bigger. He, he joked, yeah, I can get to 195, but if I get to 200, you'll have to play me at linebacker. But I think he's 6'2". So, uh, you know, I like that he's another guy with upside. Came out early, probably could have improved his draft stock if he stayed in a couple years, or if stayed in one more year, probably could have gone from fourth round to second round. And so the, so the Browns kind of bought early on a guy. It's like stock. You buy early and you hope a year from now, man, he's been in our system. We would have gotten in the second round, and he's already ready to be our whatever, two, three, or four corner, and that's what the Browns are hoping for. So I think he was a good pick where they got him. Yeah, so two off-seasons uh, down for for this Browns regime. Uh, overall, after this draft, are, are you confident in the approach uh, that they've been, they've been taking to rebuild the franchise? You know what? I'm way more confident, um, and I'm working on uh, analysis. Huh. I haven't finished it yet, but – we always kind of knew what the Browns' plan was, right? They're going to rely on the draft. They're going to get as many draft picks as possible. There's going to be a teardown for a build-up, all those things. But with the disappointing nature of the first draft, 14 players, to me, not a whole lot of impact, you started to question, okay, do they really know what they're doing? Um, but with one more year, they sign guys in free agency, in this draft, I mean, this draft could turn out to be a clunker, right? If Garrett's no good, if Kaiser's no good, if Peppers is no good, all of a sudden, right, it's all same old Browns and other, you know, and then those guys will probably be fired. The front office will probably be fired. But it feels like I can start to see the plan coming together. You can see the roster starting to take shape. They still have a ton of draft picks next year. They have a young quarterback that I actually think has a chance to be their starter. I never felt that way about Cody Kessler still don't. At least this guy, I think, hey, maybe he can be a future starter. So I, I do. I see the plan. Um, I think I see it coming together. Now, you know, we're a long way from that turning into wins, and that's a problem. Um, but I do I feel way better about these guys than I did two weeks ago. I can't get much worse than 1-15, right, Scott? <laughs> well, you wouldn't think so. No. <laughs> I mean, what are the expectations for this year? You know, I, mean, I know it depends on who plays quarterback, but you know, I mean, if they go 3-13, there's no guarantee these guys come back again. You know, so I asked Sashi afterward, how far is this roster away? Because he kept saying, oh, we've still got a lot of work to do. 
And then he, he said, well, well, you know, we want to win in September. We know that, that's all that matters in September. I think in the back of their minds, they think they're still a ways away. But the reality is they're going to have to make a big jump in performance and record to feel secure about getting year three when I think they think, okay, that's when we can take that really big jump. All righty, Scott, always appreciate you coming out here. Again, guys, that was Scott Petrak of the Illyria Chronicle-Telegram. You can follow him on Twitter, read his stuff. It's always good stuff. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, well, that was really good stuff from, from Scott Petrak. I'm, a, I'm glad that he uh, came onto the podcast to offer his insights. Um, Chris, I mean, what, what, what did you think about what he had to say? Well, a couple things jumped out to me. First off, he, he's certainly uh, not setting the ball bar low for Miles Garrett uh, right off the bat. Um, oh, yeah. I, I'm coming in this year with a little more guarded expectations. I know where Scott's coming from because Miles certainly was uh, not shy about wanting to be one of the greatest players ever. I mean, he, he said he wanted to be the best. I mean, in his mind, he wants his bust there in Canton. He doesn't want to just go to the Hall of Fame by buying a ticket. He wants to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and I like that drive from him, and, and I hope that, that that's what motivates him because uh, when players are driven by being great, it generally leads to great things. Uh, but, but to me, when you have a guy transitioning to the defensive line in the NFL, that's not an easy position to come in and play right away. He's going to be going up against left tackles because he is going to be looked at as the Browns' top, you know, pass rusher. So he's going to have to go after top-tier offensive linemen. Um, I, I I would love it if he wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, but at the same time, I also, you know, I think that being a rookie, being a rookie defensive end, I, I have a little more guarded expectations, even though he went number one overall. I certainly want to see something right off the back. I don't want to see like two sacks or something like that. I definitely want to see something, uh, but uh, I am a little bit more guarded with him. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it makes me happy that he has such high expectations. I, I really did enjoy that. <laughs> Just hearing that, that optimism, that that's really good to hear. Um, kind of on the flip side, you know, his disappointment or not, I don't know if his disappointment, but his questions that he had for Jabril Peppers and, and the role that he's going to carve out um, you know, I, I think all that is valid and, and I guess, you know, putting him up, up with Deshaun Kaiser, those are definitely two projects that, that the Browns take, took, uh, and, and certainly have the talent to develop in, into stars. Um, but you know, Peppers has a lot to, to figure out and work out kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none. So, um, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see cause take, like he said, uh, taking, uh, a returner <laughs> at, uh, the 25th overall pick isn't uh, exactly ideal, so definitely going to have to work on his defensive game. But uh, I do think there's hope for Peppers for sure. Yeah, even if that guy, even if Peppers becomes like Josh Cribbs or Devin Hester, it's still not good value to get just a return specialist at number 25. No. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what he said about Peppers showing up the most when he had the ball in his hand, uh, obviously meaning on special teams or, or on offense there. Uh, so, you know, it's clear the Browns want to play him at safety. It's clear the Browns want to play him on the defensive side first. Um, he also mentioned that, you know, playing linebacker at Michigan, that was not his natural position. So perhaps that contributed to the fact that he didn't show up as much on defense. Um, but but certainly, you're, you're right, Bob, and, and, and Scott's right too. You know, this guy is going to be a project. I think of all the guys they took, this guy, or at least of all the guys they took in the first, you know, you know, first two rounds, this guy probably has the most developing to do. Uh, so my expectations for drill preppers are actually very low. 
Yeah, I think my initial expectation isn't too high, but it'd certainly be just disappointing if he pans out into nothing. Uh, just because of the value and the talent is certainly there, and he can, if everything works out, he can be a, a huge impact player. Um, I was also impressed, you know, Scott, uh, very optimistic with just the regime in general. Usually two years in, uh, we're, we're ready to, to uh, run them out of town with pitchforks. So at, at least uh, there's some a different positive vibe right now with uh, this Browns front office, which uh, is refreshing. Yeah, I certainly hope what he said was um – Obviously, if they have another terrible year, there's always a chance they could get axed. But, but I hope that, you know, even if the record isn't there, even if it's only four and twelve, uh, that this regime does get to year three because I do think we need to see a process all the way through. And uh, certainly, I mean, at least if they're four and twelve and the young guys look good and Miles Garrett is productive and uh, Deshaun Kaiser's making progress. You can't pull the plug on it because then it's like okay, they're just young. So I think you got to have one or the other, ideally both, um, in order to move forward. If they're like two and fourteen and everyone just is flaming out, then yeah, we could be in trouble here. But but I, that, I think that's why I want these guys to pan out the most because Bob, we need continuity in this front office, man. I mean, that has been another systemic problem with the Browns. It's just one change after another after another. It's just a yeah. vicious cycle, and, and and I think we need to break it, even if it's going to be a little painful, even if it requires stomaching another subpar season. I, we just need to break this cycle. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Um, well, we definitely uh, talked a lot of Browns draft coverage here. Um, we're, we're not going to talk a whole lot about the rest of the teams, but Chris, just uh, – Winner and loser, uh, not named the Browns in this NFL draft. Well, first off, big winner Washington got Jonathan Allen, who most people thought was the number two player in this draft at 17th overall. Very versatile defensive tackle. I, I really wanted the Browns to select him at 12 when he was there, Bob. I was stunned that he was still there. Uh, I, I'm ultimately glad with what the Browns did, picking up that extra first-round pick. But, but man, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, Bob, can you imagine that if the Browns had wound up with Garrett and Allen after day one? That would have been unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so definitely big value for Washington. And, and Bob, I, I'm going to tag the Chiefs as kind of a loser. You know, this is a team that's on the verge of possibly doing something special. They have the defense. Alex Smith is a good enough quarterback to win. I, I didn't think they needed the trade up that much to get Pat Mahomes. I thought they could have drafted something else that would have helped them win now because this is a team that is not far away from potentially winning what looks to be uh, an AFC that's kind of in transition. I mean, I know the Patriots will still be there, but the Chiefs are right there with them with that defense. And I'm not saying Alex Smith is a super elite quarterback, but I do think you can win with Alex Smith as your quarterback. Yeah, the the, the Chiefs certainly uh, kind of questionable given that kind of draft capital to move up and take Mahomes just to be uh, the heir apparent. Um, I, I agree with you. That, that was definitely a head-scratcher. Uh, the the winner and loser for me uh, were kind of tied with the the f- are, are tied in, in the in that they were the the first draft day trade first two teams involved in, in the first uh, draft day trade uh, m- my winner is going to be San Francisco 49ers um, because they they duped the Chicago Bears into making that trade giving up three uh, three draft picks two for two third rounders and a fourth rounder to, to move up one spot. Um, the 49ers still ended up with the guy that they coveted at number three with, in Solomon Thomas, 
traded back in late in, in the first round, number 31, to pick Ruben Foster, who, um, if he can get his off-the-field issues under control, uh, this guy uh, would have been a, a, a top-10 talent. And even, you know, it was debatable uh, whether he was still going to be a top-10 talent heading into the draft. So I think uh, that's some, some premier talent that they're able to add and also uh, were able to hose the 49ers, added a lot of picks uh, back in the draft, excuse me, hose, hose the Bears. Uh, obviously, my losers are the Chicago Bears. Now, everything can work out if Mitchell Trubisky is a star franchise quarterback because, you know, really that's almost all that you need to, to succeed in the NFL. Um, that being said, like, like I just said, they gave up three draft picks uh, to move up one spot and, and take the guy that they could have selected with their number three pick. Um, they, they only selected five guys uh, in, in this draft, um, three of which are from the schools of Ashland, which is an Ohio school. So that, that's kind of cool that that tight end was taken in the second round. But Ashland, North Carolina, A&T, and Cutstown University in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, just a big head scratcher all around for the Bears. I, I don't really know what they're doing. Compound that with the fact that they signed Mike Glennon to a huge three-year deal to play quarterback uh, already just seems a little bit dysfunctional to me. Yeah, the head scratchers that gave so much, so many resources to go up and get Trubisky. Well, Mike Glennon was the kind of the guy they were taking a chance on. Now, I'm pretty sure the deal after one year is probably easy to get out of, but. I felt like, why sign Glennon if you're going to make this move anyway? I mean, you don't draft a guy number two overall to sit very long. So, uh, yeah, certainly head-scratching out of Chicago there. Yeah, for sure. All righty, guys. Well, we packed a ton into this podcast. Again, thanks to Scott Petrack for joining us here on Clee Talk. Always welcome to come and talk Cleveland Browns with us, the beat writer from the Illyria Chronicle Telegram. Uh, but that is all. As Bob said earlier, we are off next week. Uh, but that's why this is the second of two podcasts. You can hear our NBA play- playoff preview for the second round, breaking down the Cavs and the Raptors and all the other second round series on our other podcast this week. So we didn't forget you. We're not shortchanging any content. We're just moving one up a week uh, because we had so much to talk about. If you want to catch up on our podcast, you can check out FenleyRoadSports.com or you can subscribe via iTunes. Just search Fenley Road Sports, click Clee Talk. Or you can click the little iTunes icon in the corner of FenleyRoadSports.com. That would be a lot easier because it's nice and convenient for you. You can catch up on all our old episodes at FenleyRoadSports.com or iTunes. And, of course, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at FenleyRoadSports for more updates and whatnot. But until not next week, the week after, hopefully we'll be talking about the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll see you then. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.